Thanks for joining us on the Southside Church Podcast. We seek to build real followers of Jesus, so we hope that you find this message both encouraging and insightful. Let's jump in. Well, hello and good morning. Super excited about our time together today. We are in our sermon series titled, It's Not Over. And I sure am excited about that. I'm thankful that it's not over. I'm thankful that despite all the difficulties and struggles and ups and downs, the pains and, and uh, abandonment and struggles and in, in, uh, injustice and insecurities and all the things we struggle with in life, that we can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that it's not over because he is alive. We can live in the truth that it's not over. He is, he is at work in and through us wanting to make a difference. And so as we're talking about that, I want to, I want to jump right in. We're going to go right into scripture, which is the best place for us to spend our time today. And we're going to, we're going to focus on a, on a passage in Genesis chapter 22. Before we get there, we're going to focus on this one verse, probably the greatest verse written in all of Scripture. Maybe, I guess, there's a lot that mean different things for different people, but this one probably means a whole bunch of things for a whole bunch of people, and it should. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The word so in that verse stands out significantly. It is an amplifier. It, it magnifies for us the understanding of God's love for the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. He could have just loved the world, and that might not have been enough, but he so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's what we were worth to him. That's what you're worth to him. And he wants to work in and through your life for him to make a difference for you. And so we're going to jump into Genesis 22, and we're going to just start right there in verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and Abraham's, and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. And I'm just going to take you through the, the next several verses and read those for you, and then we'll come back and dissect those a little bit deeper. God said, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to, the, to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, that's significant, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac in his hand. He took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there, and he arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. 
Abraham and Isaac, starting in verse 22, uh, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And God, after these things, God tested Abraham. What are these things? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. These things, if you go back and start in Genesis 12, you'll see that God spoke to Abraham and said, Hey, I got a special purpose for you, just like he does for every one of us. God said, I got a special purpose for you, Abraham. And, and, and here's what that purpose is. God made a promise to Abraham in that moment. He said, I'm going to bless the nations. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless the world through your son. Which is odd because Abraham, at this point in the, in the narrative in Genesis 12, Abraham's about 75 or 80 years old, and he's barren. He doesn't have any children at all. And so he's probably like, oh, okay, cool, God, I'm old and... I'm old. And so I don't know at 75 if having kids is the best idea, but okay, I trust you, whatever you say. A different scenario is playing out, and Abraham goes home and tells his wife, you know, hey, God said for us to move. And Sarah just goes along with it, which is really weird because that doesn't work at my house. I remember when we were, Christy and I were married, uh, didn't have kids yet. We were married several years back, and and uh, we, we went to Texas on vacation and came home and through a series of events that I can't get into, you know, just really cool God details, I thought, I went home one day and I said, I think God, you know, God may want us to move to Texas. And she said, let me pray about that. And about 0.3 seconds later, she goes, no, that's not what he said. And I said, cool. So we stayed here. But anyway, Sarah didn't, Sarah didn't give any rebuttal. She just said, okay, let's go. And so I don't want us to miss, as we talk about the faith of Abraham and how God moved and worked, I don't want us to miss the faith and trust that Sarah had to go along with the crazy plan, even when she didn't know the details. But 10 years later, Abraham is now about 85 years old. It probably seems like the promise isn't going to come true. Like, God, I was old when you promised it, and we 10 years later, and I still don't have a promise. And so, you know, the it probably in that moment felt like God is the promise really going to come true. But here's, here, here is a truth about God is he always keeps his promises. He is trustworthy and faithful and always keeps his promises. I haven't always, but God is trustworthy. And just like Alan and Christy, Abraham and Sarah said, well, the, the promise isn't really working out right now. So the best thing for us to do is to take matter into our own hands. Because that's the right thing, because God needs us to do that. God needs us to figure things out for him. Uh, not at all, but you know, we feel that way sometimes. Sometimes, I know for me, I, I don't trust God to do for me what he said he would do. And so I try to manipulate or do it in our own power, manipulate the situation or do it in my own power. But God is faithful, and he doesn't give up on Abraham or on you and I, even when we act like a knucklehead. And so what, what, God, what uh, Abraham and Sarah did is they said, hey, let's get my servant girl Hagar and you father a child through her and then we'll have this promised child that God has said he was going to give us and we'll, that way the dream, the promise comes true. But God didn't need him to do that. God was working on his time frame, which is always better than ours. But here's a statement for us today. Our, faithful, our faithlessness does not void God's faithfulness. So fast forward another 14 years, Abraham's now close to 100 or right at 100 and God returns to him and he says, hey buddy, guess what? It's time. It's time for that promise to come true. I'm ready to give you that kid I told you I was going to give. Sarah overhears this conversation between God and Abraham, and she starts laughing because she thinks it's funny. So uh, because God has a sense of humor, he says, cool, you're going to name the kid Isaac. 
because his name means laughter. And so it's just a constant reminder, I think, that you laughed at it, but God was still good. And so after all these things, after all kind of things, and I would encourage you, go back and read the narrative, go back and read scripture, not just for this reason, but to go back and see all that God did in and through Abraham in spite of what Abraham, how Abraham carried himself. Because here's what I want you to know today. No matter how far you've gone and no matter what you've done in your life, if you're breathing today and you're listening to this message, I think God wants you to know that he still has a plan and purpose for your life if you will trust him and surrender your life to him. That was true for Abraham. So this brings us to chapter 22 in the book of Genesis. Abraham's about 118, 120 years old. Things are going pretty well for him because we don't see that there's any really any conflict between him and his family. And so what we see in verse 1 is very clearly God tests Abraham. So I want us to dig in just real quick, the difference between testing and temptation. And so verse verse one, God tests Abraham, and we read it a second ago. He says, I'm going to test you. Now, here's the thing. I'm married to a teacher, Christy, and I've been married 22 years. She's been teaching for almost that long. She's a great teacher. We have lots of great teachers in our in our church family. There's lots of great teachers in our community and, and, and beyond that. One thing that I know about teachers is they don't give tests with the intent to fail someone. Now, when I was in school, the cool thing was is the teachers didn't have to do that because I was perfectly fine and capable of failing the test on my own. But teachers don't give a test with the intent to fail. The outcome for a, between testing and temptation is different, though. And, and one, the best way to interpret Scripture is to use Scripture to, to tell you what it means. And so the difference between testing and temptation is we can fast forward to James chapter 1. It says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. So if you're facing temptation, the guarantee is that God, that ain't from the Lord. Temptation, as a rule, always leads us away from God and towards sin. Always. Tons of scripture that, that point that out that, that we just can't get into in the moment. But temptation always leads us away from God. The thing about testing, knowing the difference, the thing about testing, testing always leads us closer to God. But here's the thing. The test isn't for God. God knows the answers. The test isn't for God. God, God didn't need to go, huh, I wonder what's going to happen. God already knew. The test wasn't for him. He didn't need to go grow closer to Abraham. He needed Abraham to go closer to him. And so the test was for, for Abraham, not for the Lord. The test is for us. God tests us, not with the intent to fail us, to say, look at how sorry and rotten you are. The test from God always, always is to drive us closer to, to an understanding of God's heart and his character and how much he loves us, that he has a plan for us. We don't always know why. We don't always know why. Now, we get, we get to because we're th this story is in the past and this, act, this actual account is in the past and we have God's word to show us and we can read through scripture in different places and we can see what, what the reason was uh, for, for this test for Abraham and we're going to see it in just a second. But the we don't always know why when we're in the test. Abraham in the moment didn't really know why. He's like, ah, I don't really know what God's thinking. And so based on that, here's a statement for you. Even when we don't know the mind of God, we can trust the heart of God. Even when we don't know what God's thinking, we can trust his heart. Because the test is always for us to have a greater understanding of him. 
always to lead us more towards his heart and his character. The tests we like, the ones that I like, they're all open book. They're all easy. This is not an easy test. It would have been easy for God to say to Abraham, Abraham, take Isaac, y'all go to the beach, go to the beach, enjoy, enjoy a nice seafood platter, read through the, the scrolls and, the, and, the, and, and read through some, you know, some stuff about me, some content about me, read your Bible, so to speak, spend some time talking about me. Uh, y'all spend some time in prayer and then you guys have a great trip and come back home and tell Sarah all you learned about each other and about me. But this test is different. This test is cruel. Seemingly unbelievable. And you see in verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. What God has just told Abraham to do is, I want you to take your son and I want you to take him up that mountain and I want you to kill him and sacrifice him to me. Can you think, I have children. If you have children, you don't even have to have kids. Think about a kid. Think about the emotional weight of what God has just asked Abraham to do. Think about the direct contradiction that in Abraham's mind's going, wait, but God, you said you were going to bless the world. You're going to bless nations. They're going to, that his offspring and offspring and offspring, there's going to be this whole family lineage thing based on Isaac. And now you're asking me to take his life. And so how did Abraham respond? It asked the question, is Abraham a good test taker? Are you a good test taker? How do you take the test that God sends your way? For the follower of Christ, follower of Christ, when the promises of God, the things God has said don't seem to be coming true, does that lead us closer into him through the test? Or do we run to the temptation of fleeing the test and taking the easy way out? How we respond when the testing comes is important. It was important for Abraham, and we get to see God gives us a uh, direct insight in, in verse chapter uh, verse chapter 22, verse 2, we see that God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. And so immediately we get to see that this test was a choice between God's blessing, Isaac, and God himself. This, this, was a, this was God telling Abraham, I need you to give up the thing that you hold most dearly to, the most securely, that you, the biggest blessing in your life, the thing you love the most, I need you to give that to me. For Abraham, that was Isaac. How, how did, he didn't know it was gonna, how it was going to work out. He just trusted that God would provide based on his character. He says so. We read that a minute ago. You know, Isaac asked him, Dad, where, where, where's the, Dad, where's the sacrifice? I got the wood and we got the fire and all this other stuff, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. The Lord himself will provide. And for, for Abraham to trust God's character in that, it, that takes a really good relationship. That takes trust. And it's hard to trust someone you don't know. And Scripture tells us what he did in response to asking the question, how did Abraham respond? Well, here's the answer. In verse, chapter, uh, verse 3, So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering, and he set out to go to the place God had told him about. You see, the first thing that Abraham responds with is obedience. 
Abraham didn't, he didn't sit around and procrastinate. He didn't, oh, Lord, you know, I, that sounds tough. I don't, he didn't just sit down and waller in, oh, that don't sound fair, and that's not good. I don't want to do that. That's not where Abraham was. It doesn't say that he wasn't emotional. It doesn't say that he didn't wrestle uh, in his heart with, with, but what he did was he walked by faith and not by feelings. Because his feelings, at least mine would have, I'm not saying I'm Abraham, He's, he is a stalwart in the faith. I don't know that my faith is anywhere close to what Abraham's is, but what I do know is that he walked by faith and not feelings, and I would have probably been more inclined to walk by feelings. What about you? If God had asked me, put Alan in this account instead of Abraham, and God asked me to give up one of my children, the, the, the thought process, the emotional weight of that, I, I, the feelings involved would have probably been, it would have been easy for that to have been the loudest voice in my head. But that's not where Abraham is. He sets a great example for you and I today. He, he walked by faith, trusting that the promise that God had made, God would deliver it. You see, uh, I read this week, delayed obedience is disobedience. If we don't do, if we don't do what God says to do when God says to do it, that's disobedience. It doesn't matter how much time spans in between it. If we don't move forward with immediate obedience, immediate action, the commands of God, even the crazy ones, require immediate action. That's what honors the Lord and brings blessings in our lives. It brings that God blesses and rewards obedience. And we're going to see that in this scenario. Even and especially when it doesn't make sense, obedience is the first move. How many times has God asked us to do something individually or as a family or whatever, and we go, ah, you know, that now we've already started putting space and allowing us to act on feelings instead of faith, even when it doesn't make sense. I've seen friends and, and people that are close to me, uh, you know, over the years that just, you know, they'll say, man, God really has said for me to do this. And I'm like, that sounds crazy. But you know what? They took steps and walked out in obedience even when they didn't know the details. They didn't have it all figured out. Again, remember the statement. Even when we don't know the mind of God, we can trust the heart of God. So in, and then if we move forward. How else did Abraham respond? How did, how did he respond to the test? Next point in verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Y'all stay here with a donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. And then we'll come back to you. I just love this in verse five. Here's the second way that Abraham responds with worship. Worship is essentially saying to God, you are worth more or to whatever the focus of our object of our worship is. You are worth more. Worship is an expression of value, right? Worship is an expression of value. It's how we, we uh, portray worth or value to something or someone. And, and anything we withhold from God becomes the object of our worship. Anything that I hold so closely that I'm not willing to give God or surrender to him and offer to him, that has just become the object of my worship because I'm saying this is more important than God is. And worship and, and, and offering, worship and surrender generally go together. They're almost synonymous uh, throughout Scripture. And, and, and I, want, I want us to see today and know that when we offer something to the Lord, we are essentially telling God through action or heart, God, you are worth more than this. You are worth more than this, God. You are, and there is no other. You're worth more than anything right here that I've got. I was talking with a friend this week, and, and we were talking about this idea that, that, um, that, that it, 
giving God, um, giving God worship is to, is to truly see God for who he is and how he, and, and who he is in my life. That, that's clarity. That's clarity in worship is to, is to acknowledge and understand who God is and then know that he takes first place in everything. He's not just the paper the list is written. He's not the list. He's not first on the list. He is the paper the list is written on. He is the essence and center of everything that we are and everything that we do. And so we see in, in verse 2, he, he says, we're going to go back to verse 2. He says, take your son, God telling him back to the command, take your son and I want you to go over there and offer him as a burnt offering. The offering. And it, and it just spoke to me and said, you know, it's the idea of offering versus loss. Because if I'm in Abraham's shoes, I'm probably assuming that I'm about to lose my son in some way, shape, or form. And how many times in our lives do, 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 do we wrestle with offering versus loss? I can tell you we do it in our finances. I can tell you we do it in our time. We, we, we do that so sparingly. We give so sparingly because we view that whatever we give to the, to the Lord is a loss to us. But that is not true in this account of Scripture. It is not true in, in, the, in God's economy. What we surrender and, and offer to the Lord does not necessarily mean it's a loss to us. Because here, I want you to see this. Anything God has given you, you can trust him with. There is no doubt in my mind that Abraham, based on Scripture, I don't have to doubt in my mind, Abraham, according to Scripture, he believed that whatever he offered to the Lord and as his son Isaac, that offering his son Isaac to the Lord, that that was not loss. But we view that so many times as offering versus loss, that if we offer something to the Lord or to anyone else, that that's a loss to us. I think that's even probably more so true in an American culture. You know, I haven't been in a couple of other places in the world. I don't know that it resonates the same way there, the idea of offering and loss. But because in America, we probably have way more than we need and most everything we want in most situations. Wow. Now, now I'm just, I, I, I want all my stuff. I want all my stuff. And, and now I'm focused on the blessing and I'm allowing that to sit as the, as the, on the throne of my heart and become the object of my worship. But anything that God has given me, I can trust him with. I can trust God with my marriage. I can trust him with my kids. I can trust him with my job. I can trust him with my money. You can do the same. You can trust God with every relationship you have. You can trust God with every penny in the bank because all comes from him in the first place. And so anything you offer to God is not necessarily a loss. Talked to a friend this week and, and, and we had this idea, an offering from, from you is not always a loss to you. It is not a one-to-one. It is not a, he made the statement, it's way too smart for me. It, this isn't a zero-sum scenario. We don't automatically lose what we surrender to God. Isaac was the one thing, the very thing that Isaac loved more than anything. And we see in scripture that he didn't lose him. There was no loss of his son in this. God was simply trying to show him I need you to so focus on me that I will impact everything else. I need, I need to know that I am the center of your heart. And so it's this idea, it's this thought that I was thinking through this week and, and, and read or heard a guy say, it's like God saying, you know, it's like we, we say either out of desperation or anger. Because we do, we do both or, or one or the other or both. Either that God, you can have it all. And maybe it's in anger. God, I'm done. You can have it all. Maybe it's out of desperation. God, you can have it all. I just want this or don't want that. I just want you. Whatever the moment of surrender and salvation, 
when we realize that God so loved us that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life, in that moment of surrender, that moment of offering ourselves out of anger when things aren't going our way and say, God, you can have it all, I'm done. But it's that moment we're willing to put it all in his hands. And this guy paints this picture. He says, this is, you know, we probably think most times that God's going to come in with a bulldozer and he's going to take away everything we have. 